All right, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads here. The impact of your life is greater than you realize, and so we celebrate dads uh, uh, this weekend. So, um, so I was doing some research on the topic that we're looking at today, which is um, words, and I came across uh, came across a statistic used in a number of different websites and articles, and and the statistic said that um, women use on average, uh, 20,000 words a day, and men, 7,000 words a day. And um, so there, as you can imagine, that a number of people latched onto that statistic, and it was on talk shows and in, in news articles, and comedians used it and all this stuff. Um, but, but what actually, the, the problem is that it was incorrect. Um, that is not true. Uh, someone actually misread some data in the study. They began reporting it. And so it continues to be reported that way. But it's actually, it's not accurate. What most studies reveal is that both men and women speak about 16,000 words a day. Now, if that number includes texting, uh, the teenage number goes up to like 30,000, I think. But, uh, but uh, just, just um, 16,000 is the one number we're going to work with here. So I want you to think about that number for just a moment. 16,000 words every day. That's a lot of words. Um, now, with that number in mind, I want to read a verse from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. Here's the same verse from the message paraphrase. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Every day, you and I have 16,000 opportunities to either be spreading life or death, health or toxicity. That is a sobering and yet also incredibly exciting thought, depending on how you look at it, right? What an amazing privilege we have. It's like a superpower. Um, we have the power, we have the power to actually pour life into people. But just like every superhero movie, that power in the wrong hands can be used to bring incredible destruction. I think of 15-year-old Amanda Todd, who experienced a few years of cyberbullying with people making fun of photos of her that got posted without her permission. And, and one day she posted a, an eight-minute video on YouTube describing how people's words had made her feel. And then she killed herself. This precious young girl with parents and friends who loved her took her own life because of words on the other hand, I think of Pastor KJ, um, who during his growing up years, you know, was made fun of because of his speech impediment. But there were a handful of people, a few teachers, a couple youth pastors who spoke words of life into KJ, seeing the amazing person he is and the potential he had, just calling that out. Now he's a part of our, our, our teaching team, regularly speaking to thousands of people. See, what kind of an impact are your words having? All 16,000 of them. 
What kind of an impact do they have? And that's what we're going to talk about today, the power of our words. So if you have your Bible, uh, feel free to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're in the midst of a teaching series where we're, we're walking through the book of Ephesians. It's actually a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. Paul was a church planter in the early days of the church. And he wrote this letter to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus. And, and, and we come to this section in chapters 4 and 5 where Paul, he's talking about how we walk out the Christian life. And, and um, he specifically addresses this issue of words that we as Christ followers use and the impact that these words have on other people. So let me, let, me, let me remind us here as we're talking about words that this includes not only the words we say, it also includes the words we type on social media and the words we text and email to other people, okay? What kind of an impact are we having with the words that we use? So in Ephesians chapters four and five, there are three specific verses that address this particular issue in our lives. And each one of these verses gives us a specific way to evaluate the words that we're using and the impact that our words are having. Okay, so first evaluative question. First evaluative question is this. Are my words truthful? Are my words truthful? Look at verse 25 of chapter 4. Therefore, each of you must put all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, last week we talked about this whole idea of putting off our old self, putting on our new self, and we were talking about that as it relates to sexuality, issues of, you know, sexuality and purity and all that, putting off our old self in that area. Well, now Paul uses the exact same word, but he's, but he's talking about putting off our word, putting off certain words, putting off falsehood. This means putting off any ways in which you are deceiving people with your words, our our words truthful. When our spouse asks, what were you doing on the computer so late last night? Do we lie to cover our rear end or do we tell the truth? When someone at work asks you why you didn't get your report in on time, do you make up some excuse or do we own our mistake? Are our words truthful? Now, in order to give ourselves a little bit of a leeway, a little bit of a margin in this whole area of truth, um, we use we use words like bending the truth, right? I didn't really break anything. I just sort of bent it a little bit, right? Maybe exaggerating a few details on our resume or on our online profile or our tax return or when we're, we're describing an argument that we had earlier in the day at work, the story we tell our friend makes us look way more favorable or, or maybe we flatter, you know, we flatter someone with all sorts of praise and how awesome they are. And then when we get to the break room, we tell everyone else what we really think about them. That, that's falsehood. Paul says, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully. Now, so, so why is this such a big deal? Notice what he says here. He tells us, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. See, Paul's reason for urging truth-telling is relational. We are neighbors, he says. We, we, are, we are members of one body. See, what, what Paul is pointing out here is that our lack of truthfulness actually damages our relationships. It creates disconnect in our relationships. Falsehood and deception break Trust. You can't have close, intimate relationships when there is deception. 
Because the very nature of, of closeness, of intimacy, of, 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 uh, is allowing ourselves to be known. It's, it's opening up the truth about ourselves. That's what creates healthy relationships. When we hide, when we lie, when we deceive, when we bend the truth, we are blocking a healthy relationship. I mean, let, let me just ask, how close do you feel towards someone that you're lying to? How close do you feel like you can get to someone you're lying to? How, how close will they feel when they discover you've been lying to them? See, trust is the foundation for a close relationship. Now, Paul makes it very clear that this issue of speaking truthfully, it's not only a vital part of a healthy relationship, it's actually a vital part of being a Christ follower. Look again at the first word of this verse we read just a moment ago. He says, therefore, each of you should put off falsehood. Therefore. Whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you know, make sure you look and see what it's there for. I'm sure you've heard that before, but it is an important principle. Look at what this word is there for. This therefore points to the previous verse where Paul has been talking about our new self, how in Christ we are a new creation. We are created to be like him. See, the, the reason we can and are to be people of truth is because our lives have been impacted and touched by the truth of Jesus. And this is so important because if you get under the, under the surface, why do we lie? That's a really important question. You know, why do we lie? Why do we deceive other people? It's because we're concerned about our image, right? That's why we lie. We're, we're concerned about how we're going to look in this person's eyes, and so we lie. We, we, don't, we don't want our children to, to know that we failed, so we lie. We, we don't want people to see our mistakes, so we, we deceive. You know, we, hide, we hide these things. But see, folks, the gospel frees us from this. It frees us from this. Because we are absolutely loved in Christ, we don't have to hide our true selves. We don't have to lie. We don't have to hide our true selves. We are free to be real. We are free to actually speak truthfully. Okay, now let me offer one important clarification, especially in our culture here. Sometimes Christians use this verse or verses like this to justify using truth as a weapon. We justify using truth as a weapon, and social media makes this especially dangerous, a, a dangerous temptation, where we post things that are technically true, but they also have an angry or judgmental edge to them. They are words that bring separation. They create division, us versus them. And we need to remember, we need to always remember Paul's words. Remember in verse 15, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Shotgun truth pronouncements rarely feel loving when you're on the other side of it, right? They rarely feel loving. The question is, how would you say this to the person if you were sitting across the table from them having a cup of coffee? How would you say what you just put on social media and broadcast out to everyone? How would you say that if you were sitting down face-to-face -face with this person? Would you maybe take time to hear their story? Would you take time to hear their perspective? Would you couch your words in a loving tone and manner? Absolutely. But when we go on social media, 
we feel this freedom or this need. Oh, I just got to get the truth out there. You know, we feel this need to get the truth out there regardless of how people might react to it and feel about it. Often this kind of uh, relationally vacuous truth-telling um, results in people either withdrawing, right? They withdraw, or they do the same thing back at us and the conversation just starts to escalate. And honestly, no one, by that point, no one's listening to the other person. <laughs> We're not listening to each other. Um, see, I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he urges us as Christ, follower to be, Christ followers to be people of tr- truth, people who are truthful. Speaking the truth should never feel like a weapon. It should never feel like a weapon. So again, the first evaluative question is this. Is what I'm saying true? Do, do our words pass the truth test? Second question. Are my words beneficial? Are my words beneficial? Let's jump down to verse 29, which is an incredibly powerful verse as it relates to our words. If you're into memorizing scripture, this is such a great verse to memorize. Let's read this out loud together. Okay, here we go. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow. I mean, what an incredible filter to use to evaluate the words we speak. This word unwholesome literally means rotten. It was a word used to describe fruit that was rotten and disgusting to eat. Paul says, don't let any rotten, unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Why? Because of the impact they will have on other people. Right? So finish, finish the line with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Does anyone believe that? Of course not. We don't believe that. We, 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 can, we can get over a broken bone in a few months. Cast comes off. We don't think about it again. But how many of us are still trying to recover from negative words that were spoken over our lives decades ago? You'll never amount to anything. You're ugly. You're not as good as your sister. You're not as smart as your sister. You'll always be a failure. Or maybe words that have been said or written on social media about your appearance or intelligence or whatever. I was watching a golf instruction video on on YouTube not long ago. Guys on it were great. Um, Really, really helpful. They did this, you know, for free just to kind of help people or whatever. So I looked down, watched the video, thought it was great. Looked down at the comments. First comment, you need to lay off those Oreos and donuts. Seriously. Why did this person feel the need to comment on one of these guys being a little overweight? It didn't impact his instruction at all. And I know it hurt. I'm sure it hurt. That kind of stuff is happening all the time on social media. Insults about people's appearance, ideas, words, sexual orientation, gender, etc. But here's the deal. This is really important. As followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be different than our culture. We're not supposed to engage the same way they do. We are supposed to be different than our culture. We're not supposed to look or sound like the world. 
See, Paul here is giving us this amazing blueprint as to how we can be radically different. How we can be radically different than the world. Offering others, offering other people something different than what the world is offering. See, Paul urges us to use our words as a means of pouring life into people around us. Paul specifically uses this, this, this phrase, build up. Build up. See, that, 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 that's what encouraging, affirming words can do to a person. They actually impart life to this person. They actually invo- uh, just invo- invoke and impart life to this person. And, and can all of, I bet all of us have experienced this. Have you ever experienced this? You're feeling discouraged. You're just kind of down on yourself. You're, and, and then all of a sudden, someone sends you a text or they, they send you an email or they actually see you in person and they just begin to they affirm you. And they say something about you that they love, how much they value, how much they appreciate you. I mean, you can feel the impact. I mean, you stand a little straighter. Your countenance changes. It is awesome. And to think you and I have this power in ourselves. The superpower. Every one of us here. We have this ability to actually pour life into the people around us. And it doesn't cost anything to use. And we never run out of this resource. We never run out of this resource. There are always more words of life that we can bring. It's amazing. It's amazing. Our words have the power of life or death, of health or toxicity. What kind of words are we speaking to people and writing to people and posting about people? And what kind of an impact is that having? So according to Dr. John Gottman, I refer to this guy all the time. Just he's this marriage expert. He researched thousands and thousands of marriage over a period of 35 years. The guy's brilliant. And, and, he, and one of the, he identifies the four horsemen of, of uh, he can predict with 90% accuracy if a marriage, just watching a couple interact for 30 minutes, if they're going to end in divorce. 90% accuracy. And he has these four indicators. And one of these indicators is Criticism. Criticism. Starts with contempt, but it turns into criticism. Our critical words are actually tearing down our spouse. They are tearing down our spouse, wounding their heart. And what happens when that's going on? Walls start to build. That leads to the other one, stonewalling and being defensive. Walls start to build. When our hearts get wounded, walls start to build. Walls of anger and resentment, and shame. It bleeds into every aspect of a marriage, including sexual intimacy. Criticism and negative words are like poison. They're like poison in our relationships. But what's so cool is the opposite is true as well. Right? The opposite is true as well. When we choose to actually start affirming things, about this person, spouse, friend, whoever, when we, a coworker, when we choose to start affirming things about them rather than focusing on what we don't like, it's like pouring life into the relationship. It's, it's miraculous. 
It's like pouring life into relationships. I, I shared a few months ago, um, I'll mention it again, how my son Josh and I, we, we have some significant relational challenges. I mean, he's 18, he has significant special needs, and trying to get him, he's as tall as me, trying to get him to do really most anything um, can be very challenging. And I get frustrated, I lose my cool, we get emotions start to escalate on both sides, it's kind of oil and water. And um, so after another difficult kind of uh, interaction, Raylene, um, we finally got Josh on the bus, and she said to me, why don't you start affirming him rather than always criticizing him and being frustrated with him? And I think it's more than my word. He, I think he just senses it just like other people around us. They sense our disappointment. They sense our frustration, even if we're not saying it. So I started just, I started trying to be more intentional about this. Josh, I love you so much. You are amazing. I am so glad I get to be your dad. I mean, the change was almost immediate. It was almost immediate. He was like a different kid. Now, we still struggle. <laughs> we still struggle. He pushes my buttons. I push his. Uh, but, but I have seen firsthand, firsthand, the power of my words in impacting our relationship, either pouring life into that relationship or tearing it down. And I'm the one that has the choice. And even though, man, everything within me wants to criticize and all that, and I get in, in you know, these relationships, we actually have a choice to choose life, to affirm, to encourage. And the irony is when we choose that, it changes the entire dynamic. We get stuck in a cycle here. The other side changes the dynamic of the relationship, but we're the ones who hold the key to that. We're the, we can't, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do that until they change. No, we're the ones that hold the key. We hold the superpower. Are our words beneficial to the people around us? So how do we do this better? Paul, actually, he, he, his words here are so, so powerful. They're so masterful. He says, this is, this, don't miss these four words in this verse. According to their needs. According to their needs. That is so crucial. What, 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 when we're focused on what we need we will easily start becoming critical and negative, you know, pointing out all the ways this person isn't meeting my needs. This is about my needs. You're not moving fast enough. You're not saying the right thing. You're not looking at all those things. They're not doing what I want them to do. I'm focused on my, my words are according to my needs. But when we are focused on their needs, the whole dynamic changes. The whole dynamic changes. So maybe our, maybe our son, who all of a sudden seems withdrawn and unmotivated, maybe he doesn't need another lecture about working hard so he can get a college scholarship. Maybe he needs some affirmation. Maybe he needs to hear you tell him that he is loved no matter what. And that you care more about his heart than about his performance. Again, Jesus' love for us gives us all the love we need to be able to express affirmation and love to others, even people we don't really like that much. 
there's something about his love that enables us to love our enemies, right? At work or whatever. That's, that's supernatural. But it's his love that actually enables us to speak words of life because we're focusing on their needs rather than ours. Ours are being met in him so we can focus on the needs of others. So the second evaluative question is what I'm saying beneficial to this person? So what I'm about to say, beneficial, is it going to be helpful for building them up according to their needs? All right, third, are we ready for a third question? Okay, we're like, oh, I'm done, I'm done, stop, stop, no. Uh, okay, third evaluative question here. Are my words good? Are my words good? Now, I know this word good is kind of a generic, you know, sort of a general, broad kind of word, but I, I want to use it because I think it best captures what Paul's describing in this next verse we're looking at Ephesians 5, verse 4. We're jumping around to a few of these because they have this same theme. Chapter 5, verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. See, notice how Paul is describing here this everyday kind of talk. This isn't a meeting with your boss. This isn't a presentation you're doing at school or whatever. No, no, this is, this is everyday sort of interaction. This is life, right? This is conversation over a cup of coffee. This is conversation on the fourth tea box. This is while standing around a, you know, a grill cooking burgers or sitting at a kid's softball game. And, and Paul is saying, following Jesus includes this space as well. Not just small group and lobby, church lobby conversation. No, you know, the, the, no. The, what, what kind of impact are our words? What, are, what, what kind of words are we using in our everyday lives? In our everyday lives. And what kind of impact are those words having? Paul mentions obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. He's talking here about words that are inappropriate. Words that are inappropriate. Now, please hear me. This is really important. I am not at all urging us to become the language police for our culture. Letting people know that their language offends us. Please stop using that because it offends me. What do we expect from people who don't know God? We have chosen to follow Jesus. They have not made that choice. Why are we holding them to that standard? A few weeks ago, I was playing golf with some people I didn't know. Many of their shots were followed by a flurry of expletives. Um, and I, I know some Christians who would jump in and say to these people, that language offends me. Would you please stop it? But what impact would that have? So they stop using that language as much as they can for, for that round, for my sake, if I said that, for my sake. But now they have a toxic view of Christianity that's focused on language rather than the heart. And not only that, why, why should my offense suddenly require their response? Following Jesus is not about demanding things from the world. It's about laying down our lives for the world. Why are we so offended by the world being the world? As if the world is supposed to revolve around us. It's not. It's not supposed to revolve around us. 
We're supposed to lay our lives down for them, not hold them to, to our expectations. See, Paul's words here, they are not written to our culture to get them to stop swearing. <laughs> no, his words are written to Christ followers. His words are written to us as Christ followers. This is about the language we are using. Are our words good? Do they represent, in other words, do they represent the goodness of God? And this word represent, I'm using this very, very intentionally here because it's really important when you look at the context of Paul's words here. He says in verse 3, these things are improper for the Lord's people. See, there is a standard that we, as the Lord's people, there's a standard that we are demonstrating in our lives, and it includes the words that we speak. As Christ followers, our words reflect on God's character. People know we're a Christian, right? They reflect on God's character. They reflect on God's goodness, which is why Paul is urging us to avoid obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. He says in verse 4, these things are out of place. They're, they're out of place. They don't fit with who we are as the people of God. Now, the really important question here is why? I mean, why? What's the big deal if we're dropping an F-bomb or telling an off-color joke? What's the big deal? It goes back to what Paul has been saying all along. Every word we speak impacts the relational atmosphere around us. Every word we speak impacts the relational atmosphere uh, around us. This isn't about, please hear me, this is not about creating some legalistic list of words that every Christian should avoid. Here are the seven words. Never say these words. You know, this, that's not what this is about. This is about the impact that our words are having. What does love sound like? Well, what does goodness sound like? What would Jesus sound like in his words? And how are my words or your words contributing to this conversation that we're having whenever, in whatever context? How are my words contributing to this conversation? How are my words impacting the people around me? <clears throat> a couple of years ago, Raylan and I went to a, a, com, a Christian comedian. And he's really funny, and, and we laughed a lot. But, but when he first came out, he immediately just started making fun of the church that the, the venue was in, the stage, and making fun of the church. And then later, at one point, he made fun, just this sarcastic comment about this, this young girl who was sitting next to her mom on the front row, and, and we were all kind of laughing at her. And after a while of this, I just started to feel this shift in my own heart towards him, in, in the, the atmosphere that was being created. And I, you know, I even thought to myself, I would not want to be around this person as a person. And I love it when comedians tell self-deprecating stories that we all can relate to when they're the fool, you know, and, and everyone, we can all relate to that. But when jokes are told that mock another person or they get us to laugh at someone, that's not good, Again, I'm using that word. It doesn't reflect the goodness and the love of God. It doesn't foster an atmosphere of goodness. Again, this is not as much about specific language. Oops, don't use this word, this word. It's not about, as much about specific language as it is about the heart. Jesus said that 
out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, what's in here comes out when we get bumped, <laughs> right? I think that's what he's saying. When we get bumped literally or figuratively, what spills out? Because whatever spills out apparently was already here in our heart. Paul says that instead of obscenity and coarse joking, we got to try thanksgiving. We got to try thanksgiving, gratitude. So when, when someone at work is constantly being criticized and mocked by other people, either to their face or behind their back, when there's someone at work like that, what would it look like to look for opportunities to express gratitude for something they've done? And what kind of an impact would that have upon them and upon the entire work environment? Now, look, I know, I know how awkward um, it is in those moments when we're in a group, in the break room or whatever, and people are trashing someone. I know how awkward it is to try to, you know, say something positive, you know, or whatever, and then it creates kind of this holier-than-thou, super spiritual silence. No one wants to say anything because, you know what I mean? I, I get that. There's a dynamic there that is not easy. And we're not, I'm not trying about being the super spiritual holier than thou and, you know, and giving lectures and all. I'm not talking about that. We've got to figure out a way with the Holy Spirit's help. We've got to figure out ways for the Holy Spirit to show us how we can speak words of goodness and thanksgiving in a winsome way that actually shifts the atmosphere. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I know it's awkward, all that stuff. I just think the Holy Spirit can show us and doesn't have to be maybe in that very conversation. Maybe it's the next day, but there, there may be ways, I know there are ways, where we can be people who are fostering goodness in our work environments. Goodness in these situations with our words that doesn't create this holier-than-thou kind of dynamic. Ultimately, just re, it's, it's words that reflect the kindness and love of our Savior. 16,000 16,000, that's the number of opportunities you have every day to speak life into the people around you, to pour health into your relationships, to encourage, to affirm, to be grateful, to shift the atmosphere from toxicity to love. 16,000 opportunities every day. And it all boils down to three simple questions to ask ourselves before we speak, write, text, or post anything. Is this true? Is this beneficial? Is this good? Does it reflect the goodness of God? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. To change us. This isn't about guilt. This is about change. This is about being followers of Jesus in a culture where words are used as weapons. And so thank you for speaking the truth to us, Lord.
And we open our hearts to being impacted and changed by you. So as I've been kind of praying into this passage and this message, the passage that came to my mind, and I want you to just imagine this in your mind, is from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God, and he sees God in all of his holiness. Holy, 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 the creatures are saying this around the throne. Imagine yourself in that throne room. And when Isaiah sees all this, his first response is, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. That was his response in the presence of holiness. And I think some of us, maybe all of us here, feel that at some level, like, oh, my words. So he acknowledged that, and when he acknowledged it, one of the seraphim, one of the creatures came from the throne with a burning coal and touched his lips and brought cleansing. And I want to encourage you just right now in the quiet of your heart, if, if you need to just say, man, I am a man, I'm a woman of unclean lips, I'm sorry, Lord. I am so sorry for the impact my words have been having. Just tell the Lord that in the quiet of your heart and ask him to cleanse you to cleanse your lips, to cleanse your word, to cleanse your heart. Cleanse us, Jesus. Cleanse us through your blood. So once that happens, Isaiah, Isaiah says this, Lord, here I am, send me. <laughs> send me. And how about that for our prayer? Right now, God, would you send me to my workplace with words of life and to my marriage and to my family and to my friendships and my neighborhood? Would you send me? Would you send us with words of life? So God, we, we say that to you. Here we are, send us. We got 16,000. We still got some even left today. 16,000, Lord. Would you send us out to a dark world where there is so much pain and hurt? And could we, Lord, would we, could we partner with you and bring life to the people we see and the people we interact with, the people we live with? So we ask for that, God. Thanks for your word. We love you. And thanks for the opportunity now as we respond to your word with worship. We want you to continue to do what you want to do in us, Holy Spirit. Just continue to speak and move. We praise you. Set us free to worship you. This is about you. These moments are about you and speaking with our lips truths about who you are. So set us free to do that. So why don't we stand? At some point, you want to sit on us, totally cool. But let's, let's just worship this amazing God who is true. We worship you, Lord. We worship you.